This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Beta. Our guest today, Mark Farish. Mark is the author of several books. Uh, his most recent book, The Compassionate Life. He has also started the Green World Campaign. Uh, he talks about spirituality. He talks about responsibility uh, to the environment and, and how we combine these things. And we're very happy, Mark, you took the time to come on the show and talk with us today. Uh, delighted to be here. So and I go back a long way. <laughs> Mark, uh, yes, and I want to go back to um, some of the work you did back in, in the early days of, um, well, early days to us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I want to start with, with the present. I was, I was in um, uh, Utah at the Parliament of World Religions when you gave a very effective uh, keynote about the work you're doing on the Green World campaign. So could, uh, let's open with that. It's timely. And maybe you can uh, tell our listeners what, what the Green World campaign is and, and how you came to uh, get it off the ground. Great. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, you know, so you, you mentioned I'd written a book called The Compassionate Life, um, which was about uh, compassion, empathy, altruism, social healing, etc. And, um, you know, did, did okay. And, uh, but uh, I felt that I wanted to do more than just kind of wave my arms around and point at compassion, uh, even though it, it did kind of help spawn the Compassionate Cities movement. And I think, you know, had some impact as a, as a set of uh, ideas. Um, uh, but uh, I felt we're in this era of global crisis. What can I do? And it was a very open question like that. I had always been an environmentalist, but uh, I did a lot of other things, and it wasn't that I was necessarily looking in that direction. But I just sort of opened up my life uh, after uh, I got off book tour, and my mother had died uh, right at that moment, pretty much, and uh, that affected me very deeply. I just wanted to, you know, kind of honor her memory as somebody who I looked at as a altruism teacher and uh, I just uh, stopped everything I was doing and uh, thought, sh you know, show me a way uh, to help. And I happened to run into a guy who'd been planting trees around the world all his life. He was uh, an agroforester, which I'd never heard of. So agroforestry is planting trees and crops together. So you're doing reforestation, you're doing landscape restoration, you're doing poverty alleviation, food security, climate change resilience at its scale, climate change mitigation and I thought what's not to like about this so I'm going to learn about this and uh, I, I did a little film about him and I followed him to Ethiopia and then I started working in Ethiopia planting trees and got hooked on this uh, really uh, rather audacious idea that we could together uh, regreen the world in one generation and solve a lot of collective uh, problems. Uh, and that regeneration was the successor meme and frame and construct and practice to sustainability, which is very cr critical, I mean, to be sustainable, but it's just not enough at this point when we have such a short timeline to fix uh, the world, and that is not uh, an exaggeration, uh, maybe uh, less than a generation by most scientific calculations now. And so to just sustain things as they are uh, is really just dampening the perturbations of a system that is, has become dysfunctional. So we, ha so we have to really uh, sort of birth the emergence into a new system that's generative, regenerative, 
uh, a compassionate civilization um, and post haste. And I started Green World Campaign to really try to help to catalyze that process. And we've worked in uh, six countries now and three continents and planted millions of trees and are focusing our, our work uh, in Kenya and uh, most recently Nigeria. Yeah, Mark, I wanted to ask you, <clears throat> the, the focus of our, our podcast is spirituality. And, and when, you know, these days when I, you hear anything about somebody being committed to the environment, uh, I, I think amongst many of us, it's assumed that there's a spiritual component to that. I grew up Catholic. I never remember any spiritual connection to taking care of the environment. The most I ever heard was don't litter on the school grounds or whatever. <laughs> but there was no real connection there. And, and I think in our Judeo-Christian tradition, as I was, you know, and we were born the same year, by the way, uh, there wasn't mm -hmm. much of that. But it's, it seems that it, it was part of native religions and, and native people's uh, uh, belief systems. Uh, what is your feeling about the relationship of spirituality to our uh, responsibility toward our environment? Yeah, well, you know, really the essence of spirituality, you might say, if you really sort of boil it down, it, it's uh, mindfulness, awareness, consciousness, and, you know, on one side and compassion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, compassion is care for uh, all all life, right? It's it's uh, biophilia in E.O. Wilson's uh, wonderful uh, formulation. And I could read you uh, a quote that uh, Einstein uh, uh it was it's quite famous for him in some circles anyway that really i think sums it up and he says a, a human being is part of the whole called by us the universe but experiences himself and his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness and this delusion is a kind of prison for us restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few people nearest to us our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to include all living things and the whole of nature in its beauty. Um, I mean, Einstein was not particularly theistic, but I think he sums up a lot of the core principles. And yes, you do find that more explicitly in indigenous traditions uh, where even the body is coextensive with nature. Uh, so if the body is ill, the assumption is that it's actually coming from the, the natural environment that needs to be healed to, the community needs to be healed. It's a, it's a much more unitary and holistic view, uh, you know, very much, by the way, consonant, you mentioned Catholicism, with uh, Pope Francis's wonderful encyclical Laudato Si, which is really the closest thing to what I've been calling green compassion these past 10 years, that it's people and planet and some sense of, you know, spiritual openness and uh, love, right? The principle of love has to be extended out in these widening circles that that, that uh, Einstein quote refers to. Uh, you know, in uh, Judaism, in the Old Testament, you do find uh, Wordsworthy and kind of odes to nature, and you have a, a deity that's, uh, you know, really portrayed in many different ways in different sections. I mean, it's not just the, the sort of, you know, uh, sometimes war god or sometimes father god or sometimes, uh, you know, supreme being, as we like to say, but also a kind of a, a, a you know, embedded in all things, right? It's uh, mm -hmm. that monotheistic tradition was a god who was by and large portrayed as formless and, and permeable. 
permeating uh, the world. So uh, looking at everything as sacred, everything as holy, uh, I think naturally leads to uh, a sense of, of, of reverence for, for nature. But I would say in the case of, for example, Catholicism, if you look at the history of the Church, early history of the Church, say, especially the 3rd, 4th century, uh, when it was, for example, uh, being um, promulgated in, in uh, what was then Gaul, now, now modern France, that there was a very concerted campaign to cut the uh, connection to nature. Uh, so that any site that was considered a sacred site by the indigenous traditions or a goddess site or the like, a church would be built there and there would be a, a doctrine of intercession that you could not uh, deal directly with the spirits of nature. And in fact, from, a, from an early Christian, early days of Christianity point of view, nature was evil. Nature was uh, you know, chaos, nature was darkness, nature was uh, instincts and impulses, forbidden, uh, with animality, uh, all these associations the feminine, which was kind of down, you know, degraded and downgraded. Um, so uh, it, it, there was a, a kind of conflation of uh, a lot of, uh, you know, quote, kind of satanic uh, characteristics to nature, as well as to worship of nature, which was, you know, quote, paganism. Uh, so uh, it was an interesting kind of co-optation where you have, uh, you know, Our, Our Lady of Notre Dame was a goddess site, and you find old pagan sites beneath these churches. Uh, so that connection was cut very early, and this kind of radical dualism, uh, whether it's Cartesian mind-body split, or whether it's the split between humanity and, and the animal realm, or humanity and nature, you know, it, it, it went, it's gone on for a long time in Western civilization, uh, certainly uh, amplified by some of the uh, narrower religious views. But I think if you, you know, like all religious texts, you can cherry-pick them to say whatever you want them to say. And, and I think when you really look through most of the great uh, uh, religious uh, core, core texts, you know, you, you find uh, a lot of uh, odes and reverence to the natural world. So we're just basically having to regain something that, that we've lost. And that was you know, part of the gist of the talk that uh, Phil referred to that I gave at the Parliament of the World's Religions. Uh, in a workshop subsequently, I took note that a lot of the world religious traditions are really um, uh, it becoming uh, very oriented towards eco-spirituality. I think it's the, uh, the rising movement within uh, all the religious traditions now, uh, an extraordinary movement that's coming up spontaneously within each tradition. And uh, as well, a lot of the uh, religious traditions have been leaders in the uh, carbon divestment movement, which you may be aware of, that there have, there's been an enormous, uh, 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 very tangible movement to get rid of stocks that... that uh, promote uh, carbon uh, going into the atmosphere. Uh, now, this was a movement that people thought was going to be very small, and in fact, it's over $3 trillion. So one of the points that I tried to make is that uh, the logical place for some of this money to be reinvested is in the kinds of projects that we and a lot of other people are doing around the world, which is regeneration of degraded soil. Uh, and communities that are living on, on anthropogenic savannas, as it's called, land that's been degraded by people. Uh, because if we do that, we're absorbing a lot of carbon. Healthy soil is full of microorganisms mm -hmm. that absorb carbon. <clears throat> let let, me, let me interrupt you for a second there, because I, I want to get into that, and I think uh, Phil had a specific question in regard to that. Um, yeah, I, well, I want to get back to the, um, the question of spirituality and... and care for the environment. Um, it, it would seem from, from what you said and the quote from Einstein that you would probably agree that there's a, an element of 
of consciousness here that people who sense a connection to a larger mm-hmm. uh, uh, whole or something beyond themselves and and have a, a sense of identity that doesn't just include themselves in their their particular tribe uh, are more likely to be in sync with uh, the need to protect and preserve the natural environment. I'm sure you would agree that, therefore, that you know spiritual practices uh, come into play. And I, I'd love your response to that in light of the fact that a lot of the leaders in the environmental movement would not even think of themselves as spiritual, <laughs> yeah, and that's are true. sort of secular and scientific, and you know, and and are going, you know, sort of by data and analysis, and 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 which brings up the question: Are they sort of, in a, in a sort of closet sense, spiritual in their own way? So I'd, I'd be curious what you've noticed in this regard. Yeah, th- th- these are all incredibly important points. And I mean, I'll say that I started the Green World campaign as kind of a an experiment, you know, and the experiment was how to bring, you know, personally my own spiritual perspective into uh, a, a, a pragmatic domain, uh, environmentalism, where I didn't see it, uh, except in, you know, uh, the early days of the Green Party in Germany, for example, you saw a lot of kind of neo pagan spirituality that was uh, nature worshipping and that sort of thing but 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 fundamentally i think that uh the environmental movement has been characterized a lot by, by you know, uh, political, uh, strategic, tactical uh, thinking, and a lot of oppositional politics. Right, that uh, Greenpeace, which has done such amazing work and, and made you know such strides towards uh, compelling corporations to uh, behave better, uh, they've done it through you know embarrassing them. I mean, it's been such a griaha. It's been definitely you know, nonviolent confrontation. But there's a kind of sense of uh, good guys and bad guys. And I'm not naive about that. I think there are bad actors in this world that are, uh, you know, ruining things for everybody else. But I think the spiritual point of view is, you know, kind of a little more embracing, a little more like, uh, you know, the self is is other. And uh, this idea of identity that you mentioned, of course, I think that is one of the constructs that all uh, certainly inner traditions chip away at and sometimes blast apart because it's seen as an obstacle to uh, agape and, and, and uh, you know, Rahmamin in, in, in uh, Judaic terms or, or uh, you know, Hesed or, you know, universal compassion. Uh, we, uh, we have uh, kind of our altruism towards our, those who we perceive as like us and the things we identify with and then the stuff beyond that pale we don't care so much about or treat as other. So, so, um, you know, getting beyond this kind of self and other dichotomy uh, seems to be a key to me to effective environmental action. Um, and um, I, I think that if we don't uh, create a movement, uh, and I think it is emerging, and again, I think this eco-spiritual movement is a great example, but if we don't create a movement that, is, that is, uh, isn't motivated by uh, the power of love, you know, uh, this force that uh, Talhard de Chardin uh, said was a, a radical energy that, that would be like discovering fire for the second time if we could really implement it. Um, you know, that, that is going to be the key to uh, getting through this evolutionary bottleneck that we find ourselves in. Yeah, M- Mark, uh, your, your uh, main organization, as I understand it, is Green, it's found at greenworld.org. Uh, how many... How were you structured? You have a lot going on. 
You have a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of different divisions under that umbrella. And how do you fund yourself? Well, okay, those are the those are the. I wish they were million dollar questions. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really as I said, it started as an experiment. So this was a personal gesture that I wanted to make. I just kind of you know arbitrarily named it something that seemed like it would be clear. Uh, in terms of what its intent was, and put the flag up, and I, I build it as a collaboratory. Like people could come in and uh, work on it as they would, in whatever way they wanted, whatever uh, intensity, uh, given whatever their interests and skills were. And uh, it's it was an experiment in emergence, in a way. Like what would happen if you know I, as one person, you know, did the experiment uh, Bucky Fuller did. You know, Bucky Fuller called himself Guinea Pig B for Bucky. Uh, and he had actually been near near suicide at one point in his life, and he saved himself by saying, well, I wonder what one person can do for the good in the world if they really devote themselves to it. So it was sort of that idea. And um, it has been an absolutely amazing journey to find, well, you know, and I'm sure you've discovered this and many of the listeners have, that when you uh, tune into this, when you, you begin to act in this way, you say, I'm going to live a compassionate life to the best of my ability and in every dimension that I can, uh, that things start to happen. There are synchronicities and you run into people and uh, helping hands appear. So it's been... Uh, a, a, a completely organic journey of just let me see where things guide me, you know, and uh, that would seem like it would be very ineffectual, not very well organized. But in fact, it's shown me that there is indeed a self-organizing principle in, in the world that uh, that can steer us if we allow it to. And that's not to say it's been passive. It's been a lot of in incredibly hard work and mm -hmm. a certain amount of stress and around the clock to keep something like this going. It, it, it's, I mean, I've probably raised close to a million dollars for it over, the, over 10 years. And that has been... I don't want to say hooker by crook because crook is uh, <laughs> not the word I want to use. It's been very, very transparent, uber transparent, and, and, and uh, much more than actually most organizations. And and we're mostly volunteers. I mean, I have, have uh, you know essentially not paid myself and uh, gotten by as I can. I mean, this has been part of the practice uh, that goes for the for everybody else that's worked on it. You know, there are no big salaries. There's no building. You know, and and yet I found that we have been uh, remarkably effective. We've planted a million trees in Kenya. We have a hundred schools that are teaching uh, basically eco-education. Uh, we're working with uh, elders who are restoring sacred kaiapars. Mark, Mark do you have a, uh, if a school, somebody's listening, and they say, oh, how do we get that in our school? Is there a cur curriculum you can provide uh, uh, teachers? Um, you know, it's really uh, essentially the kids grow trees and seedbed nurseries and uh, take care of those trees for three years mm -hmm. and also bring the trees into their communities. So it's a way that we've introduced new uh, multi-use uh, species to uh, uh, 50,000 uh, farmers uh, in, in Kenya. Um, and I, we are looking for sister school programs. We actually had one with the, uh, uh, with the Punahou School briefly, uh, Obama's alma mater in Hawaii, uh, but we would like to create uh, an international uh, Green World Schools movement so that kids could take part in this idea of regreening the world in one generation mm -hmm. and to be able to reach out to and learn about and help support 
these uh, impoverished communities uh, that we're now working with in, in Kenya, mostly along the coast near Mombasa, uh, so that they can do this amazingly effective work, which has actually included a youth-led Trees for Peace movement that became a national movement in, in Kenya and averted election violence in the last national elections and involved uh, probably 11 different uh, groups when we were finished with it. Uh, we've done a lot of leveraging mm -hmm. uh, with uh, collaboratories again, and since that's really our practice and our ethos, uh, and it's extraordinary, again, how far you can get by simply being a catalyst. Um, but as far as funding, uh, if there's anyone out there that wants to help, it is very, uh, it's very difficult. We just got a small grant from Lush Cosmetics. We've gotten small grants from uh, Disney Worldwide Conservation Fund and uh, White Wave uh, and a few other companies. But uh, fundamentally, it's been five and ten, twenty, and, you know, forty dollar donations coming in over the well, grant. Well, we'll appeal to our listeners, um, and I'm sure. Um, you're, you're facing uh, a, a strange world where there's a lot of different organizations doing good work for the environment and you're all competing for the same uh, donations and the same donors. Um, let me, let me uh, switch gears for a minute, Mark, because you, uh, you have a uh, long-term perspective. I'd like to hear um, uh, your, your take on a couple of things. Um, you were the editor of New Age Journal back in probably this was it the seventies or 80s? early eighties. Yeah, and and at the time, this was sort of the uh, peak of what people were would now call historically the New Age movement, and uh, when a lot of ideas that are now commonplace in the culture uh, and mainstream, like yoga and meditation and so forth were, were new and weird and New Age Journal was a, a, a leading um, voice for those things. At the same time, New Age uh, became a kind of um, a term of derision for yeah. flakiness and weirdness and and so forth. What was your experience, and how do you? What do you think of of it in retrospect? And uh, are both true? <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of the above. Um, yeah, it was. Well, it was not easy. I think a lot of us, you know, they go back that far. We were the 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 oddballs, right? We saw the world a certain way, almost congenitally and looked for other people who saw it that way, uh, partly to assure ourselves we weren't nuts. I mean, I always saw the world this way, since the earliest I can remember. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people would relate to that, that, uh, you know, it, 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 I had spiritual impulses. I saw things disconnected. I felt there was a metaphysical realm. I was uh, very interested in, in uh, you know, preserving nature. Um, I started studying yoga in my teens when nobody was really doing it, and I had to find a book. You know, as we remember, there were very few teachers around then. Uh, I had been fortunate that I'd run into a, a very good Tibetan Buddhist teacher, so by the time I got to New Age Journal, I was pretty dyed-in-the-wool, uh, you know, meditation uh, practitioner. And, uh, and I actually brought that perspective to New Age Journal uh, as, well, as well as wanting to mainstream the ideas. I felt that these were not... Uh, uh, woo-woo ideas. I felt these were the, the seeds of the emerging civilization that was the, the, the way that we were going to have to go if we were going to uh, survive together on this planet. And I think that's certainly uh, become more evident over time. So to me, these were uh, really mainstream ideas in, 
in in the uh, in in an embryonic uh, phase, and of course it wasn't embryonic for other cultures, which had these ideas uh, deeply embedded and it kept them alive for millennia. Uh, but we uh, had gotten very far away from it in, in uh, you know industrial civilization and as we as we've uh, organized it. So um, trying to put them forward, yeah, it, it it meant a lot of derision from you know journalist friends who uh, you know I had to cajole into writing for the magazine, but. You know, uh, it, it's funny. I was just thinking the other day uh, of uh, Kevin Kelly, who had been one of the writers I inherited, uh, in a sense, when I first took over the magazine. And uh, he was a, a good writer. He's a spiritual guy uh, who had just done a pilgrimage from Mount Athos to the Ganges. And I had just started hearing about this strange thing called computer networking in 1983, you know. And I thought, I don't want a, t- a technology guy to go and look at this. I want a, a spiritual person to go look at it. So I, I had Kevin go out. And he spent eight months, and he came back, and he said something is really going on. We had this cover story called Network Nation. And uh, then uh, uh, Stuart Brand uh, saw that article and made Kevin editor of Whole Earth Review, and then Kevin became editor of Wired. Uh, And, uh, you know, I can give you a lot of instances like that where I can remember having cover stories where, you know, can business behave ethically? I mean, (laughs) that was like an open question then. Uh And I had a a picture of a guy uh, with a glowing... uh, a briefcase, you know, in front of an office building. Like, it, it just seemed like a very uh, heterodox idea that there could be something like ethical investment, but that was just starting out. Uh, and now, you know, you look at things like Calvert and Domini and the uh, impact investment movement, it's billions upon billions of dollars being repurposed uh, through business into try, trying to make, the, you know, uh, uh, create a, a, a style and a content of business that, that actually does good in the world. Um, yoga, obviously, has become um, as ubiquitous as uh, you know, Jim used to be, and more. And uh, you know, you could argue, of course, that it, uh, and people have that that and the mindfulness movement, which are you know extraordinary advances in being taught in corporations now on mass, and have tremendous value. Uh, at the same time, maybe uh, you know, are losing some of the original sense of this not being just purely instrumental. You know, mm-hmm. that we don't do yoga just to develop a, a, a yoga body for the beach and we don't do meditation just to become more sort of efficient because we're more mindful. Um, so I, I have to say that, you know, as virtually every trend that New Age Journal was widely mocked for uh, putting forward into public discourse uh, became, you know, very much a mainstream idea, uh, there has also been a kind of, a, I think, you know, a kind of a, a leakage in a way into, you know, American consumerism and, and into uh, utilitarian uh, uh, you know, instrumental usages for something that w- is really was intended to be free and freeing, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you're coming from a, a Buddhist tradition or, or, you know, I think a Hindu tradition too, the idea is moksha or uh, enlightenment or liberation, right? That you are liberating yourself from Buddhist terms, uh, gr- grasping and aversion and uh, ignorance, meaning ignoring, denial, right? Uh, the three poisons, as they're known. And uh, that this is what leads to uh, enlightenment and compassion and self sort of transformation for the sake of others. Um, and one would hope that that uh, kernel of uh, purpose, uh, you know, could remain as these um, 
techniques and practices and, and, and viewpoints become so much embedded in, uh, you know, a society that's still governed by mainstream capitalism right. and uh, military industrial complexes and medical so industrial complexes. But Mark, you, just, your no. tenure at New Age Journal is responsible for the word natural being on every food product that's <laughs> how unnatural. Uh, well, I, I, I don't want to take the blame for that. I did my best. Blame I did good. actually edit na- uh, Natural Health magazine after that. So, yeah, I, I really did. They never, uh, they never explained what they mean by, by natural. Mark, at this point in, in your life and, and in your endeavors, are you optimistic or pessimistic for the future? totally optimistic uh, for no good reason. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, we're in a mess. You know, it's, uh, you know, we we don't even need to talk about the the current uh, presidential race, but it's being mirrored everywhere, really. But, you know, I think this is always the darkness before the dawn. I mean, I am kind of a congenital optimist, and I I do think that... um, you know, these are, re- this is two steps, uh, you know, it's, it's one step back to go two steps forward. Uh, that this always happens when the world is about to go through kind of a phase shift, you know, or uh, in Ela Prigogine's terms, we used to reference him a lot of New Age Journal, a Nobel Prize winning chemist who talked about dissipative structures. And he said that, you know, when the existing structure begins to uh, undergo perturbation, it can't handle the energy input that it's receiving, it seems to be going into chaos. And, and decay, but actually what that is is a reorganization uh, until a new structure emerges from that that is able to handle this new input of energy. I think that's really what we're going through. I mean, that, that it's very clear to me mm-hmm. what the outlines of a new civilization are, and I think to anybody that's really, you know, not just reading the, the headlines, because, you know, you look at the, the, the headlines are always the footnotes of history. Right, and the footnotes are, are really the future headlines. So, so a lot of what we're doing it might be footnoted right now, uh, but I, I think that the uh, the trend line is very clear that we're we are collectively creating an you know an interconnected global civilization that is increasingly prizing the values of compassion and empathy and mindfulness and uh, and trying to get beyond kind of tokenism of greenwashing and that sort of thing and actually say as we are starting to say with one of our projects, what is the re- what does a regenerative industry look like? How can mm-hmm. uh, how can a company do something at scale that, by its operations, is regenerative, not just as an afterthought through a corporate social responsibility office? If your um, optimism is to bear fruit in the in the future, it will be uh, not our generation of elders and the. <laughs> and the, uh, and the, uh, the fast becoming elders of the boomer generation, but uh, but the young people who are now in their twenties and thirties, uh, you presumably, given your work, have uh, some exposure to that generation. Uh, what do you notice? What do you observe? And uh, are you feeling good about them? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, these are really the people of the future. I mean, the the millennials uh, are a big problem for some of these corporations, for example, because they have realized they're not going to work for a company that they don't feel is doing some good. They all want to do social ventures or they want to do uh, philanthropy or, I mean, all of them. That's that's a huge exaggeration. But there's a a sizable cohort, let's say. And they're being educated. uh, You know, I don't mean to focus on business 
business, but lo- lately I've just been looking at that as a potential force for change that it, that it is. And uh, if you look at uh, you know Wharton and, and Berkeley uh, out here, there's a, the Haas School of Business and Harvard School of Business. They're all taking a lot of the human potential movement ideas and where they have been used in sort of uh, you know uh, corporate. Uh, uh, practices to to make corporations function better, but now they're going further and saying, well, what should a company do in the world? And these uh, millennials are really putting a lot of pressure on the companies to step up because they will not, they can't get, uh, uh, in technical terms, retention of their top employees, their good employees uh, in that generation if if they don't uh, show a sense of a social uh, purpose and uh, environmental progressivism. Um, I think that's really a, a clear trend line. Uh, uh, so I think that these kids have been raised on the ideas that, you know, we elders, if you will, you know, had to fight pretty hard to uh, get through the flack of the uh, the previous uh, civilization, if you want to look at it that way, and, and have had the benefit of starting on a, you know, a higher floor of the building. Um, so they, of course, take for granted a lot of assumptions that, that uh, we had to, uh, you know, sort of punch through a lot of walls to lend in the light. Um, and you know, again, this isn't universal. You can, anything I'm saying, very easily, you couldn't say there's a, there's a counter trend and there's a counter argument, and I would never deny that. Um, I just think that again, when you look at uh, the 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 uh, asymptote of things, uh, you know, it seems clear to me that there's a certain there's a directionality, and it's it's a progressive directionality, and progressive not just uh, sort of politically, but but spiritually and in a way post politically. You know, we're in we're in this last gasp of you know the, the battle of the dinosaurs uh, in so many countries, right? Hor- horrific things being done that are really uh, you know consonant with a, a very you know the, un- the most unenlightened uh, 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 world imaginable, but um, I think uh, I like to see it, let's say, as a, as a, a last dying gasp, and that the, the dinosaur's tail is thrashing in its final throes, and uh, at the same, the mammals are emerging, you know? Right. Uh, and, uh, and because, you know, really, uh, when I did this book on compassion, and I thought about uh, Darwinian selection, and, you know, what was really left out of a lot of subsequent conversations, is Darwin also talked about group selection. You know, not just the individual, the selfish gene, as Dawkins calls it, but uh, the idea that that uh, the group uh, is is the unit of survival, right? And uh, if the group is to survive, uh, he pointed out that it needs a certain number of altruistic members. Um, I think that now we're in an era uh, the uh, ethologist Franz Duval calls uh, uh, the uh, survival of the kindest. You know that if we're going to get through this. Um, we're going to, uh, you know, it, it's it's almost a Darwinian pressure to become a, a collectively more empathic and compassionate and conscious uh, collective group called humanity. Humanity is the unit of survival now. You know, the, the biosphere uh, is the unit of survival. And um, so there there are, uh, there is some precedent for, uh, you know, uh, uh, collectives sort of self-organizing uh, toward um, their own, their own uh, survival, and I think, uh, you know, we, that is what we're facing. Mark, um, uh, it's no joke. Yeah. I want to th- thank you for your uh, optimism, because uh, <laughs> certainly there's a lot of other directions we can look in, but I think you're right. I mean, I think uh, the trend is upward in, in a good direction, although there's evidence that it's not always going in that direction. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Phil, any uh, final points you'd like to uh, No, i just like, uh, Mark, uh, to, first of all, to thank Mark for his time, and, and um, ask him to uh, give our listeners 
website or anything where they can find out more about what he's up to? Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, so it's www.greenworld.org. Uh, greenworld.org. And, uh, you know, please get in touch with me if you're interested. And um, The Compassionate Life and uh, some other books I've written can be found on Amazon. Uh, some of them actual books, Compassionate Guide to Still in Print or, or others uh, now in ebook form. Um, and uh, we'll be announcing some things uh, over the next year. I hope that will be, uh, you know, very impactful in terms of some of the work we're, we're doing at scale in places like Nigeria. And again, trying to do our part for uh, building this regenerative civilization. Thanks, Mark. Great. Thank you so very much. And all of that information about the website and whatnot will be posted up on our uh, website, www.spiritmatterstalk.com. Uh, and uh, any other information you would like to communicate us, the, our listeners out there, uh, please do so. We always enjoy hearing from you. Uh, Mark, thank you once again. Thank you guys very much.